0: Tuesday, January seventh, welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today from Pool.com, Matt Kopenheffer and from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hansen. We're kind of bundled up in here. It's cold. I don't know. Wherever you're listening, if you're listening outside the United States, there's a very good chance you're warmer than anyone who's listening inside the United States. It's pretty cold out there.
1: Well, you know, half the world is summer, so I think the odds are the,
0: the odds are in the favor of your statement. <laughs> there we go. And, and to be fair, I mean the three of us grew up. North of Alexandria, Virginia, so we are used to colder winter. I mean, it's it's but, cold outside. But, 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 but I, but I, I it's lived not...
2: five years in Las Vegas. That turned me into a pansy. I oh, did it? This. I, I don't think you can say this. that. Why, why is that? Well,
1: I think that word. It's kind of a derogatory word. Is it really?
0: But he was using it about himself. <laughs> so I think that's <laughs> all awesome. right. Whatever. Um, it's a podcast. We
1: have no standards. <laughs> we...
0: <laughs> Zero. We have some Zero standards. We have, we have some mild standards. Tim's
2: wearing a scarf inside. We have no standards.
1: <laughs> it's a nice scarf, though. Thank you, for my- my my aunt-in-law for giving it to me for Christmas.
0: Is she one of our dozens of listeners? I hope so. Right. <laughs> we'll get a lot on. of brownie points for that. Uh, let's move on. We are about to kick off earnings season, um, and I want to start with the banks, uh, Matt, because big article in the Wall Street Journal about how the fourth quarter earnings that are going to start next week from the big, big banks may not be... All that promising because of the decline in trading revenue, uh, and this is from fixed income, currency, commodities, it's expected to be the fourth consecutive drop in trading revenue for the big banks, and the 11th of the last 16 quarters, that sounds like a pretty bad trend. How bad could this be for the banks?
2: it's not ideal there were there have been signs that this will actually look better than last quarter which is an improvement so that's in the right direction but generally speaking the the trading revenue like a lot of the things that go on at the banks uh it's cyclical and and so it's not like if you think about a secular business like an amazon you don't want to see that decline uh quarterly or year over year or whatever because that's a business that you want to see growing on all fronts year after year but with banks, with cyclical businesses, there certain parts of the business are going to do better some years, do worse other years. Um, also, it depends on what bank you're looking at. So the article, the Wall Street Journal article, was talking a lot about Goldman Sachs and how the decline in, in fixed income trading revenue will hurt Goldman. You're not investing in somebody like Goldman Sachs in particular because it's a bond trading house. That's not why you buy Goldman Sachs. You buy, you buy it because this is a, a, a very savvy financing company that hires the best people and figures out how to make money. So it, it's a little bit that it's a cyclical business. It's a little bit based on who you're investing in and why you're investing in them.
0: Tim, I saw, and I'm, I'm blanking on who, who this person was, but I saw someone in the journal making the comparison of the big banks in, in general refer to them as uh, to use a sports analogy a good bad team and uh, this is a t- saying that that the banks the big banks in 2013 were like a good bad team in that they can uh, and the two examples were from the NFL the Kansas City Chiefs uh, and in the world of soccer, Manchester United—they beat inferior teams, but when it's time to step up and really perform against great teams, they don't really do that. And saying that the big banks in 2013 were sort of like, well, yeah, they had a they had a good year in general in 2013, but that's because not a lot was expected of them. Now there are greater expectations. First, do you agree with that assessment? And second, do you think that's accurate? That that investors, rightly or wrongly, are expecting more out of the big banks in 2014.
1: I'm I'm not sure if I agree because I lost you about midway through <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> on that analogy. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I will say, I think, yes, more is expected out of um, banks, I think, this coming year than was last year. And that is is probably just purely a function of the fact that the economy continues to gradually get better and people continue to see better data coming out of the, the the mortgage market, which is obviously a huge source of business for banks. And you would expect, as the economy gets better, mortgage activity picks up, that loan activity writ large would all pick up, whether it's commercial loans, wholesale banking, what have you. Then there's fee income on top of that. Um, trading, I think, as, as, as Matt was saying, is cyclical and is looking like it's going to be a weak spot. But call me old-fashioned, I, I would like to see trading become less and less a part of these larger banks' um, books. And for larger banks to go back looking more like plain vanilla, you know, community banks, because I think it's, you know, it's, it's, they become easier to analyze, they become more predictable. Um, I think they become more stabilizing and better for the economy at large. And, And I think, you know, from an investor perspective, you know, in some ways it's, it's a better, even though your, your profit potential from year to year is lower, right? Your profit predictability is higher. And I think for you know investors prefer the certainty I think over that windfall when the risks are are massive if you're not good at trading and some of them are good at trading and others of them do it just kind of to try to keep up with the Joneses but they actually kind of suck at it <laughs> and then it's just year after year it's just a, it's just a lag on their results and you just want to say get you know get rid of stop doing that
0: you know keep it simple um, Matt uh, whether it's the banks or any other industry uh, as we get ready to kick off earnings season. Is there anything in particular you're you're looking for that you're hoping for? Whether it's an industry, a company in particular,
2: the banks. I think it's going to be a relatively boring earnings season. I don't think that there's going to be too much that's going to surprise anybody coming out of there. Uh, I th- I forget who it was. I think somebody was talking about this on uh, Motley Fool Money. But uh, I'm going to be looking outside the banking industry to uh, capital spending plans uh, because Andy Cross was talking about. Okay, that. yeah, the, the, there there's been. Uh, a lot of buybacks. there's been a lot of hoarding of capital, and one of the things that would be a great boost for the economy is if companies finally decided we've got all of this cash sitting on our balance sheet. We have uh, low interest rates still. we have all this ability to to potentially borrow uh, and expand our business. Maybe they start feeling confident enough that they're going to spend some money, uh, buy some new, uh, build some new uh, factories hire some more workers, something along those lines.
0: Yeah, the stat I saw at the end of 2013 was that of the companies in the S&P 500, 484 of them had returned cash to shareholders, either in the form of a dividend or share buybacks or or something. So, yeah, to your point, they've got the cash. It'll be interesting to see how much spending they do. What are you watching, Tim?
1: I think this will be an interesting earnings season. Not for a look at what happened over the last three months of 2013, but what, where companies start guiding for 2014, because usually in the first quarter, the first calendar quarter, um, they'll, they'll issue a full year guidance number. And you know, I've seen a lot of people make predictions this time of year. A lot of people are trying to predict what's going to happen in 2014. I don't really see a real consensus around, you know, whether people think you know it's going to be a good year for the economy, great year for the economy, uh, slowdown again. You know, how how are things going to shake out in Europe and the emerging world and when you start putting, you know, if you if you there are a couple smart management teams that you like, you know, see what they're doing. You know, capital spending is one thing they're going to guide to capex capex plans. You know, what are good companies like you know Costco, notoriously good forecasters, saying their sales are going to be for 2014? Where are their bright spots going to be? I think those markers are. It's a nice place for for investors to gravitate onto themes and ideas for the coming year. And um, I'm I'm interested to see. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, pundits can say anything they want to, right? Right. But, but, you know, guidance that has real numbers behind it and, you know, people's bonuses and things are based on it. I mean, I think that's a more intelligent thing to look at. um, And that will be coming up in the next couple of weeks.
0: I think we saw that this morning with uh, Valiant Pharmaceuticals, which is a a big uh, drug maker in Canada. That stock is up this morning. It's something to the tune of 10%. And I think a lot of that had to do with... Their guidance for this year,
1: yeah, they guided the forty percent revenue growth again this year and forty percent cash flow growth, which is a huge number for them, and it implies another at least another big and a couple other probably small to mid sized acquisitions for them to tuck in um, yeah and they're they're clearly very optimistic about about the environment they're entering into, but I, you know i wouldn't necessarily take them as an example of what the year is going to look like because none of that you don't you never know what what's organic right. and what's what's being bolted on um, and they're very good deal makers they have a great track record for it but they're highly leveraged and you know the accounting is not misleading but the accounting is complicated and so it is what it is uh, I, I was going to say not only that but is
2: that's not necessarily the kind of business that you'd look at for broader economic trends, right? I mean, you well, they have, I mean, they up.
1: have some interesting, I mean, you know, they they have things like acne creams and um over the counter sort of consumer, you know, walking that line between between um consumer discretionary and consumer staple pharmaceuticals, which is kind of a, you know. So is acne cream more for a good economy or a bad economy? <laughs> it probably depends if you go with the uh what
2: what
0: price point you use for your acne cream. <laughs> um, this isn't tied to earnings but uh, Also coming in 2014, um, just next month, we have the Winter Olympics. um, And then later in the year, we have the World Cup. And I am curious because I I meant to ask you this last week, Tim. um, There are some pundits, as you mentioned, there are some pundits out there who look at those two events and use them to make the case for a Russian ETF and a Brazilian ETF, or this is going to bode well for these two. Economies.
1: God, uh, no. I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I can't imagine you agree it's, with it's that. Re- it's irrelevant. I mean, you know, to the extent, you know, you could make the case that Brazil needed to build stadiums and therefore infrastructure spending would be higher. You know, but that's already happened for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. Brazil still has a little bit of preparing to do, but um, I think they're they're mostly done at this point. You know, and, and the flip side of infrastructure spending is that Brazil <laughs> spent a lot of money, and so it makes their national balance sheet not look quite as good. Um, so I mean there's good and bad things. I don't I don't think it's you know there's going to be a blip in tourism for for both countries arguably but none of it is 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 relevant to the long-term story of either of either market. Though I hope I hope both countries pull off successful events. I I I hate that idea to the the ETF thing, but
2: is there a case to be made that let's say everybody goes over to brazil for the world cup and no, doesn't get mugged nobody gets <laughs> nobody gets mugged nobody gets murdered and everybody says oh well brazil is is a lot safer and better than we thought let's expand business over there let's take trips over there i mean is, is there a potential knock on effect from if it's pulled off well that this that that, that it improves the perception of the country well
1: i think you can always get a headline sort of a headline um you know good news in terms of people go oh that was that was pretty cool i liked it there you know but brazil You know, nobody's going to start – they're not going to have an entrepreneurial revolution there until they get rid of a lot of the red tape that they've put up in their government. You know, there was a great article in the Wall Street Journal recently that's contrasting the Brazil, Venezuela, sort of what they call the Atlantic countries in Latin America with the Pacific countries of Chile and, and Peru and Mexico, which are much more free trade oriented, and looked at where their growth rates have been going, what the outlooks are for each economy. You know, and if you're going to do business in Latin America right now, for example, Mexico, Peru, and Chile are where you'd want to go, and, and Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela—I mean, those are just headaches. Nobody, nobody wants or needs, um, particularly if you are a multinational business. Um, you know, which is sad because those are big, important countries uh, for the most part. Um, but you know, I think you know, for long-term economic development, it's really more structural stuff that needs to get done rather than the rather the fun stuff. Although the World Cup is. A hell of a good time hell of a good time, and it's going to be a hell of a good time in Brazil, you know, provided everybody stays safe, which I think it will be fine
0: are you going to be coordinating a research trip to Brazil to time up to sync up with the world cup <laughs> you know we we
1: um, are contemplating a research trip to Brazil that is tentatively scheduled for April ish which would not sync up with the World Cup because um, I think that would just be too, that would be too much of a bruhaha, ha ha right yeah. you, we get no work done, but I think it's an interesting time to be looking at Brazilian stocks just because it was a tough year in 2013 for the market there. People are very pessimistic about the country. And so, whenever you get pessimism with underperformance following what was an otherwise raucous year for global equities, um, I think that's where you want to at least go looking. So, it's a justifiable trip, Chris. (laughs) And if if we come back with souvenir memorabilia for all of our relatives, so be it.
0: I was I was not question <laughs> I was not questioning the justification for the trip. I was just questioning the timing of the trip. You can always email us radio at fool.com is our email address. Got an email from John Workman in Sydney, Australia, uh, regarding our recent conversation about Google buying up robot companies. John writes, Google is fascinated with artificial intelligence. To make the brains behind AI, you need tons and tons of data, which Google is very good at collecting. So the robot company acquisitions are looking forward. 20, 30 years when you have your home robot to do the housework, babysit, take the dog to the park, and make idle chit-chat with. This is where the future technology and Google are heading, which dovetails nicely into, as I said, Matt, yesterday's market foolery episode where they concluded by talking about smart homes. And Mark Reith posed the question, if you could have any voice for your smart home, what would you go with? Uh, Jason Moser thought Acknowledged that he was perhaps being nerdy, but thought that maybe Darth Vader would be kind of cool. Actually, one of our listeners on Twitter um, wrote, uh, "My choice for Smart House voice would be Susan Stanberg in the morning and Kathleen Turner for the <laughs> evening." That's a I like I like having the two there. But uh, what would you go with?
2: Is there any other choice besides Sean Connery? Sh- Sean
0: Connery That's strong. That would be strong. <laughs> that would be strong. Tim?
1: Um Mr. T. That. Is that too abrasive? That would be great for the morning. Yeah, get, get you yeah, out.
2: That, that of would morning. get you going in the morning. Coffee, Pity the food. fool that doesn't get out of his bed. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I think I would have to go, and I'm influenced by the movies, but uh, Paul Bettany, the British actor who is the voice of Jarvis in the Iron Man movies. Oh, that's not bad. That's... What
1: about the, the, the voiceover king, you know, in a world? That could... uh, what, one of the movie <laughs> guys? That'd be kind of fun. That would be,
2: that <laughs> would be <laughs> pretty cool. I think that would be fun. You, <laughs> you reminded me of what the worst choice would be, which would be Jar Jar,
0: Jar Binks. Oh, Char-Char Banks. Holy cow.
1: Suicide rates would (laughs) skyrocket. Holy
0: cow. I watched watched Phantom Menace this weekend for the first time in over a decade. And uh, oh, Oh, why'd you do that to yourself? Um you know it's the thing that it's uh, and Tim knows this it's the things you do for your children. So, you have a preteen son, don't you eight year old boy <laughs> wanted to watch uh, the first three episodes, so we we watched the first two and uh, yeah, God, what was George Lucas thinking? email us radiofool.com let us know your choice for the voice for your smart house Tim Hansen, Matt Coopene guys thanks for being here. Sure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, no buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Rick Angdahl. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Fran Ooh, Ooh. 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 (laughs) brutal! The one-two punch of Jar Jar Binks and Fran (laughs) Drescher.
2: Maybe arguing with each other. (sighs)